Hello, and welcome to the Bright Morning Podcast. I'm Elena Aguilar. Friends, this week I have an episode for you that is in response to a question that we received about what we do in Bright Morning to proactively mitigate harm that can be done in PD spaces, particularly harm done towards or experienced by folks who identify with a marginalized identity. So for example, what do we do to proactively mitigate harm that BIPOC participants in our workshops might experience? And particularly, what do we do about breakout spaces where the facilitator might not be present? And so that's part one, like how do we proactively consider preventing harm from being done? And two, what do we do? How do we respond when harm is done? When someone with a marginalized identity lets us know, hey, I was in this breakout space, and someone said this or did that. Those kinds of things that we sometimes call microaggressions, but when you experience them, they feel more like you know, a knife in your gut, not like a microaggression. So really great question. And we want to thank the folks who asked us this question. And that's what I'm going to be responding to today. I'll tell you what we do in Bright Morning, and I'll give you a whole bunch of suggestions for things that you can do. Before I get into that, I want to shout out a friend of the show, Emily S. Thank you so much for your support. I also want to thank a listener who left a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you've listened to this podcast for more than one episode, you know that I am often asking you if you would go leave us a five-star review and leave us a a five-star rating and a review. And so someone left the most beautiful review with the username success story. And the review is entitled, You Are a Gift. And this person wrote, Elena, you are such a gift to the world. Thank you for your gentle yet powerful spirit and deep analysis on transformational coaching. While I don't work in the education space, I am career, leadership, and executive coach, and I learn so much from you every episode. I especially love your coaching demos. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you person with the username success story. This means so much to me. Uh, Just, you know, the fact that someone takes the time to share this, the appreciation feels good. And I'm also so moved that my work is relevant outside of the field of education. So here it comes, folks. If you have not yet left a review, would you pop over? It just takes a minute or two. It really means so much to me. And also it just helps us get the show out there. And that's what I'm trying to do here. Okay, let's get into this episode. So again, the question is a two-part question, really. What do you do to proactively mitigate harm that can be done in PD spaces, including breakout spaces where a facilitator might not be present? And then what do we do or even what's our philosophy or approach to responding when harm is done? Okay, so let me start here. First, you have to assume 
that harm will be done to people with marginalized identities. And I say that with sadness, with disappointment, and because we can't expect anything else at this point in our society, in our culture's development. The kinds of harm that are done reflect the systems of oppression that have been in place for thousands of years. Okay, so if we are to consider, for example, patriarchy, the archaeological and anthropological research, if we are to consider patriarchy, then the archaeological and anthropological research on the origins of male-dominated systems of hierarchy based on male characteristics and power, that goes back to the time of the advent of agriculture. So we are talking about somewhere between two and 4,000 years BC. Okay, I find this history, this research fascinating because it helps me understand what we're experiencing now. This ideology has been deeply entrenched, particularly in what we consider to be the Western world. Um, The world that emerged in some ways first from the region of Mesopotamia and then spread into Europe. So let's just start with that. You know, the ideology of white supremacy perhaps hasn't been around as long, you know, maybe five, six hundred years, and it's still super dominant. Um, Those ideologies influence our systems, our structures, our mindsets, our beliefs, our emotions, our ways of being. They are the water in which we swim that we don't even know we're swimming in it. So assume that, unfortunately, as we continue to shed these these um, destructive, uh, dehumanizing systems and mindsets, people are going to experience harm. And the reason why it's empowering, actually, is to set yourself up from that assumption is that it can push you to be proactive, to do the kinds of education, the kind of study, the kinds of consciousness awareness that you need to within a group. But don't ever assume that, oh, we did that study last year of so-and-so's book or folks on my team have these identities. Don't even assume that because people have marginalized identities, they won't also perpetrate harm. We have internalized these oppressive ideas and unconsciously, sometimes even consciously, we may um, express them and act act upon them to folks who perhaps even share our our identities or others who have other marginalized identities. Okay, so start with education. Start with assuming that harm will happen and start with education. How you go about that is a whole long podcast episode. What do you do? But um, think about how to be proactive. So when we set up learning spaces We do some things to set up those spaces that name that we have awareness that there are folks with marginalized identities in those spaces. For example, in our Coaching for Equity workshops, we offer BIPOC affinity spaces. 
Um, I actually have a whole episode on what those are, how to set them up. And so check the show notes for that episode if you're like, what are BIPOC affinity spaces? That's a way to anticipate, to understand that um, harm may be done and we can create some spaces where folks with that marginalized identity might be able to have some respite or perhaps avoid some of it. Um, But also just in naming that for our groups, we signal we are centering the needs of this group of people and we are aware that they're going to experience spaces differently and we're tuned into that. So doing some education, some setting up of structures, for example, like affinity spaces, one of the other structures that we invite folks into in our workshops is in their um, in our virtual workshops in their Zoom name to add their pronouns if they want. And so that is a way to signal an awareness of an acceptance of non-binary gender identification. Um, that's something that we always say if you want so that people have that option. Again, it's another way for us to signal we recognize that there are people here who have identities that may not be or have been reflected in our mainstream culture who um, we are, we see you. That's kind of what we want to be saying. We see you. Another thing that we do is establish norms or community agreements that we invite folks to work with and to try on. In our Coaching for Equity spaces, we talk about our commitment to creating a safish space. And we talk about what that means. In other words, the challenging thing um, is that there's a limit to what's in our sphere of influence or control. And we have to acknowledge that and we can still be proactive. So we can name that, hey, here are the ways that we intend to create a safish space. And we recognize that in spite of that, Things might happen if they do. This is what we say. And if you would like to let us know, please send us a private message. So we tell people things could happen. If you want to let us know, please do so. And then we have to also create enough of a culture, which what I'm describing now is in our workshops, which are temporary spaces. And so you may have a space that is more continuous creating a culture in which people feel safe enough to come to a facilitator and say, I was in this space and here's what happened. And then get your support to talk through next steps. So when I'm in that position of someone coming to me and saying, here's what happened, I want to first think about the tension between my responsibility and the other person's agency. And how do I take responsibility and cue or speak to the whole group? And how and where do I offer the other person a space to address what happened? So this is a a tension because when someone experiences a microaggression or a knife in the stomach, um, they may not have the capacity to deal with it, to address it, to speak to the person. However, if I don't at least offer them that or check in about what would you like to do? How would you like to respond to this? I am taking away their agency and they may already be feeling kind of disempowered. So that's an important thing is if someone comes to you, then engaging them in a conversation about what role would you like me to play? What would you like to do? 
would you like to think about this and check back tomorrow? Would you like me to take action immediately? Um, the thing also to know and to remember is if the microaggression happened in I also, by the way, have a whole episode on microaggressions. We will link that in the show notes. Um, if that happened in front of a group, then the whole group is aware, perhaps consciously, maybe unconsciously, is aware um, of the breach in safety. And if you were there, it's especially important for you to address because then they know that you saw it or if you didn't see it, that you didn't register that something happened. And if you weren't there, it's still important for you to say something to the whole group to have some response. So that could that could look or sound like, hey, I'm aware something happened in a small breakout group. I wasn't in that group. But what it's done is it has brought to my attention that we need to do some learning about what microaggressions are or about a specific kind of issue. Maybe it's ableist language. Maybe it's misgendering people. Maybe it's um, a comment that came up about home language or language um, identification. So whatever it is, there may be an implication for you to do some some facilitating some learning. Or it may be a, an opportunity for you to say, hey, these are our norms. This is our commitment to a safe enough space or a safeish space. And here's what I understood happen. There's some harm that's been done. And then there's some choices for you to make about is this a harm repair conversation between a couple of people that you facilitate? Is it a whole group? So it's important that you name it. Otherwise, we go into this like situation in which people know the leader saw something happen and the leader is not doing anything. The leader's in denial. The leader can't deal with conflict. Yes, it's uncomfortable. And it's a whole lot more uncomfortable for the person who experienced the microaggression and in order for you to maintain your trust as a leader or for folks to maintain their trust in you as a leader, you have to respond. Now, key in all of this is your awareness about what's coming up for you and how you recognize and engage with your own emotions because you're going to have them because emotions are a human thing and they arise when we are in a situation in which there might be a threat to group cohesion or to belongingness. And they may arise in relationship to your sense of yourself as a leader. You might hear that something happened and feel a sense of shame or guilt about how could I let that happen on my watch? I thought that that person was this and so and that. I didn't imagine this would happen. So you're going to have some stuff come up. Now, when you can cultivate, when you have some awareness of your own emotions and some ways to respond to it, you are less likely to end up centering yourself and more able to stay focused on the person who came to you for support or on the person who experienced some harm. Because you may have some learning opportunities here, but this situation is also not about you. So be careful to not go into a spiral of shame or guilt or um, any of that, right? And that's really common also. So always critical to hone 
That emotional intelligence, it's just the basis for everything, for being a successful leader, for having a fulfilling life. It's just so fundamental. That's why in just about every topic I talk about, I come back to a reminder, a nudge, an injunction to pay attention to your emotions and learn how to work with them. So I want to thank, um, again, the folks who asked us this question, and I hope that those tips are helpful. And friends, if you found this episode helpful, would you share it with a friend or colleague who might also find it helpful? We have a big podcast-related goal for this year. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet because it's huge and it's super scary to have such a big goal. And um, it's basically about getting our podcast out there and getting new listeners. And so you can help me with that. It's easy. It's quick. Just forward the episode, share it in a text message, uh, whatever kind of message. Hey, this might be helpful to you. One person, two person, it'd be so grateful. Okay, friends, thanks so much for listening. And thank you also to Leslie Bickford, who is the podcast producer, and also to Stacey Goodman, who is the sound engineer. Take care, everyone. I'll see you next time. <laughs>